will, go ahead and grab your Bible, make your way over to Genesis chapter 4. Today we'll be getting into this chapter 4. We're going to be seeing how one seemingly insignificant little sin of eating a piece of forbidden fruit now manifested in this sinful nature of the falling generation. Uh, Simple disobedience in one generation, it seems ridiculous, right, but becomes a murder of uh, a violent murder in the next generation here. In our, uh, in our time today, right, and, um, <clears throat> the time we live in, rather, unless it involves someone that we are closely related to, we are hardly even phased by murder nowadays. Um, and I, I say that because, I mean, were you even aware that there were 22,000 murders in our country this last year? 22,000. I don't know, what, that'll fill up our basketball arena a couple times? That's a lot. Um, <clears throat> but anyway... Uh, Before we read, I I do want to help you understand kind of the division of chapter 4 of Genesis here because uh, it's there and and you'll see it. They're they're marked by the same general phrase over and over again or three times. Uh, And the first one is in verse 1 here today, Adam knew his wife Eve, or knew Eve, his wife. In the second instance, if you're looking to get your Bible open, look at verse 17, you'll see it there. If you like to underline things that kind of help you understand, uh, this is where you do it. Cain knew his wife in verse 17. And then the third one's in verse 25, where Adam knew his wife again. And today we're going to cover just the first section, and then next week we'll cover sections 2 and 3 of chapter 4. So that's where we're at. Let's, let's read. Let's get into this passage. Uh, you've got your own copy, I hope, before you follow along as I read aloud. <clears throat> and just so you know, we're going to go a little further today. We're going all the way to verse 16. Your bulletin says 14. Things change. Okay. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall, be, uh, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." The grass withers, the flower fades. 
Let's pray. <clears throat> Blessed are, are you, O Lord. And this morning, teach us your statutes. Father, we ask through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit that you would stir our affections to love your word. We ask that you'd make our minds to understand your word. We ask that you would move our wills to store up your word in our hearts so that we may not sin against you. And so that we will come to you for the grace that you offer when we do. This we pray in the name of our glorious Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, to know someone in the biblical sense, you've probably heard that before. It's a euphemism for sex today. Uh, this is because of what we see in our passage right here, verse 1, right? That Adam knew Eve, his wife. That's what it's talking about. You see, the word knew here is translated from the Hebrew word that was made famous by the, the sitcom Seinfeld, yada yada, but in this case it's just one, right? The word is yada. Uh, there are other Hebrew terms that describe sex besides yada, uh, but this particular one, it, it communicates this deep, this intimate knowledge of another person. In fact, yada is used 940 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot for word usage. Uh, and often it refers to how how God intimately knows his covenant people and how we long to be known by God. For example, in Psalm 139.1, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Known there, that's yada right there, but and it in no way refers to a sexual relationship with God. It's talking about a, a vulnerability. It's talking about a, a relational nakedness, a, a deepness of knowledge that goes beyond mere intellectual information here. And in fact, the way that the word yada is used in the Old Testament really should be shaping all of our view of sex in general instead of so much of the cultural influence. You see, it's true, right? Sex certainly can be distorted and used as a merely physical pleasure between two people. But you and I, who know the Word of God, who are studying the Word of God, who are, who are, who are placing our lives under it, right? Uh, we, we, we must understand sex as something far superior to that, as a means to, as an expression of, the deep intimacy that can and should develop to, within the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. A place to be truly known and truly loved. And I, I mention this. Don't worry if you're like, I did not know this was a sex sermon. It's not a sex sermon, but it's here. This is the first place we see it, right? And so I do want to mention this. And I, and I also want to mention this because really, um, most of us really need to develop a better, a biblical theology of sex. One, one that goes beyond, to greater depths and greater, greater aspects than, than simply wait until marriage, which is unfortunately often the, the, the only theology of sex we have in, in the church. And I, I say that, right? And, and yet, again, this passage is not about sex primarily, and so we must move forward this morning, but I do want to encourage you in that to pursue that further. Now, to get back to the text specifically here, after the birth of, of her first child, Eve makes this proclamation. She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. <clears throat> okay? She is acknowledging here God is the power behind the birth of this child. In fact, she even uses God's covenant name, Yahweh, here, right? And she does that, right? And, and you know that. You can see it in your Bible. It's just... I tell you this from time to time because it's helpful when you're reading, right? When you see the word LORD and it's all capitals, you know that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's the covenant name of our Lord. <clears throat> now, I expect you also know that, that most names have meanings. Uh, I'd be surprised if you haven't looked up your, the meaning of your, your own names. Now, my, uh, my father's name is Henry Harrison 
Huff. And I, I learned actually just this week, I learned that Harrison means son of Henry. Uh, and that means that my dad's full name means Henry, son of Henry Huff, which is ironic because his father's name was Carl, not Henry. Um, <clears throat> I pointed this out to him. He didn't care much for it. Uh, anyway, the, the, the name Cain here is, is, is from this Hebrew word that means to acquire or possess, right? Which explains why, why she makes that proclamation right afterwards. Now, can you imagine at this moment, though, here, here is Adam and Eve. Uh, they've heard this promise, right, back in Genesis 3.15. And here's the birth of their first child, their first son. And can you imagine the high hopes that Eve has for her firstborn son? Right? There's this, this thing in the back of her head, certainly, could this be the serpent crusher that was promised in Genesis 3.15? Now, of course, in, in due time, Eve's going to heartbreakingly learn that Cain, her firstborn son, is no savior of man. He instead is a slayer of man. And, and before we get to that, though, we, we would learn that Eve here had a second son, and she named him Abel which is, you know, to bring the Hebrew, and again, it's this H-E-B-E-L, right? Abel, Hebel, uh, in, in the Hebrew, and it means vape, uh, vapor or, or breath. This is the same word, you know, if you've ever been to the beginning of Ecclesiastes and you read that vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? That word vanity is sometimes done vapor, uh, right? That's the exact same Hebrew word that's going on here. Now, uh, vapor, in fact, turns out to be a fitting name for this person who is the first person who's ever going to experience physical death. Now, these boys are, are born, and we know nothing of their childhood joys. We know nothing of their childhood struggles. We don't know how they got along as children or anything of that nature, but we do know that Cain followed after his father by becoming a farmer. And we know that the younger brother, Abel, goes in a different direction and becomes a shepherd. Now, both of them would, would have fit in incredibly well at K-State in the Ag Department. Uh, they could have worked together there, right? But, but, but we don't know anything about how they, how they know to bring an offering to the Lord at this point. They certainly do know because they're bringing an offering uh, to the Lord. And they both bring what it is that the Lord has provided them in the work they do. Crops and, and, and uh, you know, the expanding flock here. <clears throat> so you see in verses 4 and 5 that God regards Abel's offering of an animal... Uh, but he does not regard Cain's offering from his harvest. You, you, can, you can think of God regarding an offering in, in this sense, right? In the sense of if, if someone gives you a gift, okay, just birthday, Christmas, whatever it might be, they give you a gift, and, and on your birthday, uh, they give you a gift card to your favorite restaurants, and you look at it, and it's got, you know, plenty of money on there for you to go and enjoy that, and, and you truly appreciate that. It shows some aspect of them knowing you, that they've, they've, they've done this for you. But, but say they, you know, someone else gives you a used razor, right? Here's my used electric razor. Just, I wrapped it up. Here it is for you. You're probably not going to regard that. I would bet most of you are going to throw that in the trash rather than actually use that. Now, it's a little bit like that. Not exactly, but just to get your head around what, what, what the understanding here is. Now, our, our passage today should be making you wonder... Why does God regard Abel's offering, but he does not regard Cain's offering? Why does he accept Abel's, but not accept Cain's? Now, some have tried to answer this by saying, well, Abel offered an animal sacrifice. It's a blood sacrifice, right? Whereas Cain's just, you know, a vegetarian meal of some sort. That, so, so there's a, a little bit of that explanation that some people have tried to do, but it really can't be that, and it can't be that because later in the scriptures, all over the scriptures, rather, in the Old Testament, uh, we see animal offerings, but we also see fruit and grain offerings that are given to the Lord, and both of them are accepted. Both of them are, are pleasing to the Lord. So it can't be that. 
Now, if you look a little closer at the passage before you, you're going to begin to see the reason. Look at verse 3. Cain brought an offering of the fruit. <clears throat> no qualifications. That's just what it is. Now, look at verse 4. Abel's, Abel's offering is qualified. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, right? You catching that? You know, Cain didn't bring um, the first fruits of his harvest. He just brought whatever, right? It's like, I don't know, I'm going to give you a gift, but I just, I found this gift card down in the drawer, and it's got $8.06 on it. Enjoy. You know, it's, it's something like that. Now, now, Abel didn't bring just any old animal, though. He, he brought the firstborn, and, and apparently in the form of prepared meat, because he brought the, the fat bits too, right? So he didn't just bring a dead animal, but, but in, the, in, in this meat version of it. Now, Abel's offering is thoughtful and intentional and, and meaningful. It's sacrificial. It's the good stuff that Abel gives to the Lord. Whereas Cain's is, is indifferent. He's kind of going through the motion. He's, he's checking off, you know, some, something he reluctantly feels he's supposed to do. And he just completes it. Now, the book of Hebrews, uh, you know, in the book of Hebrews, we get to what, uh, what is behind these two offerings. Listen to Hebrews 11:4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and, and through his faith, <clears throat> though he died, he still speaks. Now, two verses later in, Hebrew, in that, you know, Hebrews passage, we're also told this, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so that informs the way we understand this passage before us today, right? That, that Abel's offering is pleasing to the Lord because Abel's, uh, Abel's faith in God, right? He offers it in faith, whereas Cain's is rejected because he does not have faith in the Lord. And, and this is made seeable in the way they approach the offerings here, right? So, so before we go forward, there, there is a lot for us to learn here. We, you and I, we, we don't make sacrifices, you might notice. There's no place for you to bring your animals or your fruits or, or to put it anywhere. There's, we don't have any knives for slaughtering anything here, um, right? And that's because the Lord Jesus has fulfilled that. He has fulfilled that completely. But we do make sacrificial offerings to the Lord as those who have been redeemed by our gracious Lord. We do so in, in gratitude. <clears throat> and and I, I say we do, right? I mean, again, in the book of Hebrews, right? Right, right after explaining, that the sacrifice, right, explaining the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood, we read in Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Your praise to God is an offering to God. Not to earn you anything. Right? It's about gratitude here. Now, you might consider then that coming to worship on some Sundays or every Lord's Day, you might think, oh, I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of my presence. I am using my talents here. I volunteer in some way. I give financially. You know, God must be pleased with my offering because I could be sleeping in here today instead. But it goes deeper than that, right? The, the Lord wants you to come and to worship Him with a heart of faith. Wants you to come with a, a desire to honor His name. Wants you to come with a, a heartfelt love and faith in Him. Not, not just going through the motions, right? And, and, and I know, you know all of us are susceptible to do that on some days. You come through here or you come in here, right? And you, you have a hundred other things going on and you just want to go through the motions. Now, we, you know, you and I, we want to worship the Lord as, as Jesus puts it in spirit and truth. 
Now, it's worth considering what, what you give to the Lord and, and what, what mindset you give, right? And not, not to earn salvation again, nor his love, but still, and, and what you offer to the Lord in gratitude. Is it, is it mere tokenism, or is it driven by a faith in the Lord, a love for the Lord, that you want to give him the good stuff, right? Does it display a, a genuine faith in the heart? Now, in our passage today, I, I find it strange, really, that, that Cain cares at all that God doesn't accept his gift. It doesn't seem like that would be the attitude attached to this, but, but he does care. In fact, he cares so much that he becomes incredibly angry, so much so that we see it on his face here, right? Now, <clears throat> now let me ask you, how do you react when someone suggests that you've done something wrong, right? When, when they say, hey, Jim, you can't, you can't treat people like trash just because you're frustrated. It's, you can't be unkind to them. It's, it's just not right to do that, right? Or if they say, hey, hey, Maddie, what you're about to do is incredibly dishonest. I'm using your name. You're not really. Uh, you know, it's incredibly dishonest. It's incredibly ungodly. You can't be doing that, right? We, we don't generally like those sort of rebukes, do we? Well, that's, that's what's happening here between the Lord God and, and, and Cain here, right? And that's what's happening. Cain is rejecting, or his rejection of Cain's offering, it's communicating to Cain, listen, there is a right way to do this. There's a right heart way to do this, Cain, but you're doing it the wrong way. God's correction here is a soft discipline. God's asking questions to get Cain to understand his own angry heart, what's going on in, the, in his heart here, right? And we're going to hear God in a minute. It sounds a little bit like a Paul Tripp book, and, and that's for good reasons. This is where the Tripp books come from. Anyway, uh, God knows, but, right? But, but Cain doesn't know even what's going on in his own heart, and so that's why God asked him this question, why are you so angry? We never get to hear his answer, do we? Maybe, maybe he doesn't answer at all. In fact, maybe Cain does that thing that we are so prone to do. He crosses his arms and he just stares ahead in anger. He'd be mad at everybody. You know, we, we've all seen that response or we've been the one doing that response. It's, it, it's so sad, really, that, that Cain doesn't see God's words here for what they really are. An honest correction and a path to forgiveness. Listen, Christian, next time someone you trust calls you out for a sinful attitude or action, take a moment to honestly consider their words. Be open to correction. Right? You don't want to keep going down that path. Now in our text, the Lord doesn't turn his back on Cain. Right? God shows him these, these two paths that lay before him. And in verse 7, we see him have a look. He says, if you do well, you, will you not be accepted? Right? The obvious answer is, well, yes, you will be. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, I, I used to love when our kids were little, I've told you this before, I used to like hiding in some dark place, right? And when they'd walk by, you'd jump out and they'd fall over scared and it was so much fun. I regret it now because they've learned to do that and they do it to me and it is terrifying. If I go back, I'd never teach them that. Well, you know, God here is describing sin, right? This sin in the heart of Cain in a, in a similar but uh, far more nefarious manner, right? He describes this sin like a beast. You know, he doesn't describe it in any real detail, but I kind of picture it like some wild mangy lion, right? Just lying in wait. It's just outside the door here, crouched, ready to pounce as soon as the door actually opened. And, and God's saying, Cain, this, this path you're on right now, it ends in disaster, right? For you too. It ends in disaster for you also. And so take a look at your heart and, and make these changes that need to happen here, right? Or, or as Ice Cube said it in the 90s, right? Cain, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
that's really what this is. If you want to go to like, I guess that's you know the message, but then the, the you know the ice cube translation here. Anyway, now we we haven't named the specific beast that is waiting, crouching at the door for Cain, and it is always helpful. Anytime you are trying to deal with sin in your own life, give it a name, right, that you understand. I don't mean a personal name. Give it a name that we understand what we're dealing with here, right? What is the sin at the very heart? What is the beast here? And in this case, it's jealousy. It's envy. Cain Cain is pondering something along the lines of, why does God like Abel more than me? What is it about dumb Abel over there that some reason God likes him more. Why, why are things going well for Abel but not me? And that, that's envy, right? Which the, the Puritan Samuel Willard right, once described, I love this, he said, envy sucks poison out of the best flowers. That, that's what it does. Right? And envy wishes awful things to occur to someone else. Envy resents another person for whatever blessings they receive. Right? Because maybe they should be my blessings, right? Envy becomes resentment, it becomes bitterness, and it has led Cain to be angry. And this is not, not your righteous anger that we all want to defend here, right? This is the evil, unrighteous anger that, that we ourselves are far more familiar with in our own experiences. And, and so it's envy, and it's anger, and it's growing into bitterness. That, that's what's crouching outside of Cain's door, waiting for that door to crack open. And listen, I don't, I don't know... But maybe you yourself have a sin that is crouching outside of the door too and you're considering, you know, maybe I just opened this door. Maybe it's envy or, or of someone in your family. Maybe it's envy of a friend or a coworker, or just someone online that you've been watching, someone who seems to get everything they want. Maybe you're angry at someone who has hurt you or angry at a group of people you believe are just ruining your life or a group of people you fear or fear are going to be ruining your country maybe it's an affair that is crouching at the door or a dishonest action maybe you want to murder someone quite literally or maybe you just want to murder someone's reputation and as god tells cain here this sin wants to rule you you must exercise self-control you you must rule over it and in one sense right don't open the door in another sense be prepared to slay the beast that awaits there for for cain to rule over this particular sin it would mean giving up his jealous anger sometimes it's very hard just to do that to willingly say i'm gonna let go of that I mean, what about the sin that's crouching at your door? What, what, what would it require for you to rule over it? If there isn't a particular sin right now, there will be one later. And so be ready when that time comes. Now, then of course you know, right, we, we cannot just rule over sin in our own strength, and that's okay. We're, we're not limited to our own strength, praise the Lord. You, you must turn to God and receive faith. You must turn, you know, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit within you, the strength that you need for this battle. And, and you are not alone. You aren't alone, truly. Unless you make yourself alone by just sitting back silently. And I say that to say this. Share your struggles with other believers. Right? Don't let them simmer. Don't let them, don't let them just sit there by yourself. Share it with the other believers so that you can receive the encouragement and the support that you dearly need. Now, in James 1.14, the process of how sin goes from crouching at the door to pouncing in murder, right, is actually explained. James says... Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Well, in verse 8, right, we see Cain does not listen and learn from God's correction. Instead, full-heartedly, he just opens the door. Let's see what's out there. We, we, we see then, right, that the, the polywog of envy and jealousy in the heart of Cain has become this full-grown beast, and now it brings forth death. Look at verse 8. Now we're really getting to it, right? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Sounds like a euphemism too, right? Right? Who knows what he actually said? It's his little brother, so he's probably like, hey, Abe, come out with me in the field. I want to show you something. And, 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 right? and, and then we read, and, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. And we don't know how he, Cain killed Abel. We don't know if he cut his throat with something. We don't know if he strangled him. We don't know if he took a big rock and just smashed his head in. Right? Nevertheless, we know that Cain murdered his little brother Abel. In verse 9, you know, similar to after Adam and Eve sinned, God approaches Cain. He asks this simple question, hey, where's, where's your brother? Where's Abel, your brother? Right? And remember, this is God. He already knows. Right? He's not really wondering where he is. This is like when a parent, right, sees their, their six-year-old push down their four-year-old out the back window, right? They're, and now is asking that six-year-old, why is your little brother crying out there? It's not for the info. The parent has the info. It's because you want to see, right? You, you want to see your child admit to their sin. You, you want to see her express remorse. You, you want to see repentance. You really want to know she's not a sociopath out there. And, and here in our text, right, unlike Adam and Eve, who are, are, we are told, right, or are, are Adam and Eve who were misrepresenting the truth, they stretched it right, right, but Cain just doubles down, just straight face, lies outright to God. You can almost hear the tone of Cain saying this. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What, what, what a cold-hearted response to God, right? To this warm-hearted God of his, of ours. My brother's not my concern. Christian, the, the simple answer to Cain's question here and always is, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Is yes, you are your brother's keeper. You should care. This is clear throughout all the scriptures, but very explicitly and tied here, right, in 1 John 3.11, where John says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not, listen to this, be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And then just a few verses later in, in, in John there, John, you know, following Jesus' lead from the Sermon on the Mount, he writes this, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Does this mean literally siblings? Yes, but also your, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, your fellow Christians, don't, don't let jealousy and bitterness simmer then, right? Put, put the pen back in the grenade before that goes off. That, that doesn't mean you, you have to, to want to spend all of your time with someone who's a challenge for you to get along with. That, that's going to happen. That's just reality. You, you, you might need a little distance at times. You might need some wisdom and some encouragement at times, right? That's okay. That's part of the process sometimes, but, but you must take serious the call for, for, for you are intended, right, or the call of you to be your brother or your sister's keeper, to care for them. Now, now then, look at God's thunderous response to this cold-hearted statement from Cain in verse 10, right? You, you get the sense God is now, now seeing the, just the coldness of his heart. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the, God, the ground. God is outraged over this murder. God, God, murder. God hears the cries of his children, right, who, who have been murdered. And in fact, you know, the, you know that organization that reports on persecutions of Christians around the world? You ever wondered why their name was what it was? The Voice of the Martyrs? This is where it comes from. 
that is crying out from the ground. Now, Cain could not hide what he, what he had done here, right? And, and God immediately punishes him. But before the ground was cursed for all of mankind, right? It would be difficult to produce food from the ground by the sweat of the brow, but it was still going to produce. Now, Cain himself is cursed, and the ground is not going to produce anything for Cain. You can imagine that's a pretty big problem for a guy that makes his living in farming. Furthermore, Cain is sentenced to be a fugitive and a wanderer. As Victor Hamilton points out almost poetically, Cain, once a farmer, is now ousted from civilization and is to become a vagabond. Here it is. Rootlessness is the punishment and the wilderness is the refuge of the sinner. You see, all the relationships that Cain had with his family from this point forward are severed. Sin makes everything worse. Cain now knows that. He will never again truly feel at home. You know, is Cain remorseful and repent at this point? And we hope so, but no, not at all, right? Look at what he says to God in response to these consequences. Verse 13, have a look. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from the, your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me is going to kill me. Cain has just murdered his brother. And instead of shame, instead of repentance, instead of guilt, he's saying, the punishment's too much, God. Right? This is the first lament ever recorded in Scripture, but it's not a lament for his dead brother. It's not a lament for his poor parents who are going to find out about this soon. It's not a lament for, for what he has done against the Lord God Almighty. It's this self-centered, you know, self-pitying lament of a guy who's unrepentant. You've seen this in children. You've seen this in adults. adults. You, you've probably experienced this at some point, right? It's that difference between being sorrowful for what you actually did, right? What you actually, what sin you committed, and, and being sorrowful because, you know what? You got caught. And the consequences are awful. You don't want that. And it, and it may sound odd, right, that Cain is fearful here of wanting other, you know, who's going to kill him because you're like, aren't it just the two of you, right? Right? Well, no. There's been, you know, many more years have passed, right? They, we don't know how many, but there are other brothers and sisters here. And, and this whole thing becomes a bigger deal for us next week. Uh, but clearly, there are other people on the earth here, right? Family that he is afraid is going to come after him and seek revenge. Now, the Lord shows grace in this moment. He tells Cain, Listen, that's not going to happen, for the Lord declares here, he says, Cain, if anyone attacks you, they are going to get punished seven times worse than the punishment you're getting right here, so they're not going to do that. And then we're told the Lord puts a mark on Cain, and that makes him, you know, in some way recognizable. It's going to dissuade other people from attacking him. And many have speculated about this mark all throughout history. It's kind of a fascinating study. Some think this mark is some sort of a tattoo. You walk up and like, oh, you know, he's got a teardrop or, you know, some kind of tattoo. And they're like, let's not mess with that guy. Uh, others thought over the years that it's some sort of hairdo. I don't know what that would be. Maybe he made him bald, mullet, probably a mullet. I don't know, right? Now, many believe uh, that he was made physically just hideous, that he was so gross to other people that no one wanted to get anywhere near him. Now, there was one rabbi in history who, who really got creative. He believed that this mark that God put on him was a dog. And the dog traveled with Cain and protected him, and that's the way it works. I don't know that I buy that at all. Um, whatever it was, though, right, it, it was undeserved and astounding grace of the Lord to Cain in this moment. Because really, like, just the wrath of God should have been poured out on him this moment immediately, and that's not what happened. You see, God gave him time to consider this awful sin against his brother, against his family, and ultimately against God. And so did Cain repent? 
Unfortunately, we have no good reason to believe that he actually did, but he certainly could have, and more to the point, even Cain was not beyond the reach of God's grace. You see, our, our passage ends then with the news that Cain went east and he settled in, in Nod, right? A land that was appropriately named for a man who was, you know, co- you know uh, condemned to wander the rest of his days because Nod actually means wandering. Now, <clears throat> listen, Cain was the firstborn of Eve. And while it showed his deprav- or he showed his depravity by shedding the blood of his brother, his own brother, It is Jesus who is the true firstborn who sheds his own blood for the redemption of his brothers and sisters. You begin to see uh, the difference here. Now in the New Testament in Hebrews 12, 24, which we've been in Hebrews a lot here today, right? We are told that when we come to Christ, we come, and I quote here, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you hear that? The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay. The blood of Abel spoke a word, and the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. What did the blood of of Abel cry out, right? Abel's blood was crying out for for vengeance. It's crying out because there is injustice. It's it's crying out that that Cain was guilty of this awful sin. What then is the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks? Well, the blood of Jesus is crying out justice on the cross. It's crying out forgiveness to all who will come to him in faith. The blood of Jesus says it's, it is finished, and by which we mean the atonement, right? The payment of our sin is finished for all who trust in him. As we come to the end, I encourage you, right, that you may hear the voice uh, of Jesus' blood. That you might finally come home from your wandering, that, that you'd recognize this, this call of the Lord to, to come to him and to freely receive forgiveness of your sin. And we're going to stop right there. A lot of the application worked into it this week. Um, but we're going to stop right there. Let's, let's pray. Lord God Almighty, thank you for the atoning sacrifice that is the finished work of Christ on the cross. If we are deeply honest, too often we are more like Cain than we are like Abel. Sin is crouching at the door. Jealousy infiltrating us. Anger gripping our hearts. Father, forgive us, have mercy, make us to listen to your voice in the scriptures, and and may the voice of, 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 of sin be silenced. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.